Friends, as we um, come to this moment, I am preaching this evening from Isaiah chapter 61. And as we read through these first four verses, I invite you to get into a prayerful place. I invite you to allow these words to watch over you, these beautiful lines of Hebrew poetry that you hear not once but twice in Scripture. And I invite you to think about where the Holy Spirit is guiding your heart, what place in the Scripture is pulling at your heart. And I'll ask you about that place after we read the Scripture and pray over it. So hear these words from Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 4. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord to display God's glory. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities and the devastations of many generations. My friends, this is the word of God given to us as the children of God, and we proclaim, thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer? Come once again, Holy Spirit. You have already filled this place, so I ask this evening that you would fill our hearts as well. Open our hearts, O oh God, open our minds, and open our ears so that we may hear all that you have for us this evening. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. So friends, where did you feel the Spirit's hug at your heart? What word or phrase struck you? Bind up the brokenhearted. Amen. Yes, Dan. The mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. Amen. Yes, Miss Goody. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. Yes. Ah, times two. Jacqueline also had that as well. The first sentence the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Yes. Because the Lord has appointed me. Yes. 
Any others? Chase. Bind up the brokenhearted, another one. That's a good line as well. Thank you, Chase. Any others? So as I mentioned a few minutes ago, last week I was not with you all because I was at annual conference. An annual conference is held in the great city of Lakeland, Florida. Can I get an amen? Lakeland, not only is it the fabulous home of the Florida Method United Methodist Church, it is also my hometown. It is the place where I grew up. I remember uh, growing up in our uh, subdivision with all of my friends on our street, we would go out at night uh, right before the lights would get dark. I was a little bit older, and mom would let me play until 9 o'clock at night right? And we would play uh, manhunt throughout the neighborhood. Uh, and with all of our friends, I remember walking down the paths in our open air mall as a teenager with all of my friends with the pocket of a couple of dollars that my parents gave me to spend that was left over from a movie. And we would walk not actually see the movie and just walk and talk and look at all of the shops and cause whatever sort of chaos <laughs> we could find. And I'm remembering all of these moments of my childhood as I'm driving the two and a half-ish hours from Gainesville to my hometown. And as I'm driving through after the Welcome to Lakeland sign, nothing looked the same. Now you see, I left Lakeland at 18 with the vow never to return as I drove out of my hometown with all of the things that I owned. And now, looking back, I reminisce. I remember. And in some places, there's a, hinge, a tinge of sadness as I look upon some of my favorite places and realize that they are no longer there. When I walk through the doors of my home church and realize the people that have brought me to this place of hearing a call to ministry are no longer present. Either they have moved or they have gone on to be with Jesus. There's, while Lakeland holds so many wonderful memories so many wonderful moments. There are also moments where I grieve. I remember what once was and grieve that it is no longer there. And this week I found myself yearning for that place of what once was and mourning the fact that things might never be the same for me again. I wonder if we all haven't found our place that ourselves in that place as well. The place of remembering of how good life once was when. How wonderful it was when we were young and didn't have all of the responsibilities. When our children were little and toddling about. When our grandchildren would climb into your lap and say, I love you. 
those moments of remember when, and we find ourselves here, mourning, remembering, grieving what once was. It's in that place of remembering, that place of sadness, holding what once was, that we find the people of Israel in our passage this evening from Isaiah. You see, at the time that the prophet wrote these words, the children of Israel were going or looking forward to returning to their homeland from exile in Babylon. For 70 years, they were scattered throughout the Babylonian empire. They were completely isolated, separated from everyone and everything that they had ever known. Because the Israelites were considered captives, the Babylonians placed strict regulations and restrictions on what they could and could not do, like worship openly, like gather with their family and friends. Families lost their homes and their livelihoods, forced to provide in any way that they could. They had to learn new languages and cultures, which often prevented them from fully understanding what was happening around them. They could no longer worship together. I bet the only thing that got them through the very long and hard days was reminiscing about a time when, remembering what home was like when things were better, longing for the way things used to be, but things would never be the same for them again. When the children of Israel finally return home, they find utter devastation as long-lost family gathered and met each other face to face, they realized that there were some faces that would never make it home, lost to illness, to war, or to the life that they have come to know in exile. Everything they remembered about their homeland had been turned to ruin. The fields that were once filled with beautiful vineyards are now barren expanses of dust. The marketplace that was once filled with the sounds of thriving businesses is now silent and empty. And the temple, the holy place where all of God's children would gather for worship, is now a pile of rubble, of cinder blocks and mud. There is nothing left of the life that they once knew. Everything they were Everything they hoped would be is gone. And as they take in the devastation, as they crumble at the weight of all that is lost, as they grieve the life they once had, the life that they thought they would have again, the prophet brings a word of hope. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me to bring good news to those who are oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to comfort those who mourn, to provide for those who mourn, give them beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, 
the garment of praise instead of a spirit of heaviness. As Christians, we often read this part of the prophecy and stop because we recognize these words. They are the very words that Jesus reads in the temple during his first sermon when he announces that the prophecy had been fulfilled in the Gospel of Luke. And so, when we hear them, we think we have the full answer. Yes, Jesus is the hope that we've all been waiting for. And yes, that's true. And in fact, that is what the entire gospel is about. But if we stop reading this moment of Isaiah, these beautiful words from Isaiah, we miss the totality of the good news that is prophesied here for the people of Israel and for us. We miss the full scope of the hope that God is offering to us. You see, the hope that is found in healing and comfort is only half of this story. If you only read the first couple of verses, you miss a shift in the text where the prophet stops speaking of himself and begins speaking about those who are mourning. He says, they shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities. Isaiah seems to believe that the very people who are brokenhearted the very people who have absolutely nothing left to offer are the very ones who will create something from nothing. They are the very people who we begin carving out something new, a new life, something that they could not have imagined. But how? How could they even begin to think about rebuilding their lives when they are so heavy with grief that sometimes they can't even get out of bed? How can they move forward when the memories of all that they have lost are so overwhelming? How can we move forward and claim the hope that is to come when our wounds still leave us brokenhearted? when the weight of the world still rests upon our shoulders, when we cannot see beyond our season of exile and hold fast to the hope of the future. There's a woman named Julie Guillot, whose son Zach was diagnosed with acute myeloid leukemia at the age of five. A little boy full of life and spunk and strength fought against the disease with everything he had. After his first round of chemo, Julie asked him how he was feeling while recording a video. And in that video, he said, I'm going to get through this. And leukemia, if you're watching this, you're going down. At age nine, after four years of hospital rooms, chemotherapy sessions, and surgeries. Zach's body could no longer withstand that fight. And as you can imagine, Julie was absolutely devastated. Her grief too much to bear. 
She couldn't understand how her little boy, someone with so much life, so much fight, could simply be gone. As she was leaving the hospital for the last time, she remembered Zach's battle cry, leukemia, you're going down. And she knew that deep in her soul that this moment wasn't the end. This couldn't be Zach's legacy. And in the midst of the unbearable grief and deepest pain she had ever felt, she took up the mantle of Zach's battle and said to herself, leukemia, this is not over. So she started fighting herself. She continued to help countless, hold countless fundraisers and began a program to fund new research that has to this day helped save thousands of lives of children like Zach. In a teary-eyed interview, Julie reflected on her grief and the way that it fueled her, and she said this, I had learned too much, made too many good contacts that I could not just walk away. I needed to do something. I needed to take that grief and use it for a higher purpose. Otherwise, I wouldn't survive. For me, the simple act of helping someone else is like a Band-Aid for the soul. She said, the simple act of helping someone else is like a Band-Aid for the soul. The thing about a Band-Aid, though, is it doesn't fix anything, does it not? The application of a bandage doesn't magically heal the wound that it is covering, but it does provide protection. If the bandage is properly dressed over the wound, then over time, that wound begins to scab. A new skin begins to grow. What a Band-Aid does is provide space for that healing to happen. Though Julie never mentions where her strength to move forward came from, I have to believe that that kind of strength only comes from the Spirit of the Lord. The very Spirit of the Lord that empowered Isaiah to bind up, to literally heal with a bandage, those who were brokenhearted. That very same spirit who would come upon Mary when the angel told her she would be the mother of God. The very same spirit that filled Jesus when he read Isaiah's prophecy. And the spirit that later rested on the tongues, or rested in tongues of flames on the disciples' heads. This is the very same spirit that is at work right now within each of us. The good news of hope for us this evening is that even in the midst of our heartache, even in the midst of all that has changed in our lives, our God has been and will always be about the work of binding up the brokenhearted. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, our God longs to bind up our wounded souls and empower us to move forward, even if it feels like we have nothing left to offer. 
By the power of the Holy Spirit, our God makes beauty out of ashes, gives us an oil of joy and gladness instead of mourning. Our God takes our heavy spirits and gives us garments of praise and reasons to sing. God's promise to us this evening is that with every step we take, God is carving a path forward toward restoration and healing and wholeness as God is binding us up, giving us the space to do that healing work. Hope is in the binding. But what does that look like for us? What does it look like to have hope in the binding? It might look like a contemplative service. To come and to rest and to be in the presence of God without needing to hear words or say words. To simply be. Maybe it looks like cracking open the Bible once again. Finding the Spirit of God resting between the words of the pages. Maybe it looks like entering into that prayer rhythm that you've been longing to seek, trusting that the Spirit of God will meet you there. Maybe it looks like actually giving yourself space to grieve while also remembering the joyful moments that you've had with your spouse or your father, your child, or your best friend. Holding on to those memories while leaning into the legacy. Whatever those experiences of hope might look like for you, remember that we do not walk this path alone. Instead, in these moments of doubt, and these moments of grief, allow God's Spirit to bind up what is broken in your lives to wrap up tightly those places that hurt. Allow the Spirit to speak into your heart and your soul and to do what only our God can do. Make something beautiful from nothing. In the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.